Welcome to the Judgment Call Podcast, a podcast where I bring together some of the most curious minds on the planet. Risk takers, adventurers, travelers, investors, entrepreneurs, and simply mind boggles. To find all episodes of this show, simply go to Spotify, iTunes, or YouTube, or go to our website, judgmentcallpodcast.com. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes or subscribe to us on YouTube. This episode of the Judgment Call Podcast is sponsored by Mighty Travels Premium. Full disclosure, this is my business. What we do at Mighty Travels Premium is to find the airfare deals that you really want. Thousands of subscribers have saved up to 95% in the airfare. Those include $150 round-trip tickets to Hawaii for many cities in the US, or $600 life led tickets in business class from the US to Asia, or $100 business class life led tickets from Africa round trip all the way to Asia. In case you didn't know, about half the world is open for business again and accepts travelers. Most of those countries are in South America, Africa and Eastern Europe. To try out Mighty Travels Premium, go to mightytravels.com slash mtp or if that's too many letters for you, simply go to mtp, the number four and the letter U com to sign up for your 30 day free trial so you're not around traveling no not this time um no more Colombia they didn't want to let me out of Colombia last time I was there they so, didn't let you out or you couldn't get in no you know with all the uh, covid restrictions it's usually yeah. that you have trouble getting in and they deny your boarding if you don't have all the documentation right yeah, or yeah. worst case they don't let you through immigration But they let me in and uh, but unbeknownst to me in Colombia, they also only spoke Spanish at immigration. They still let you in, but they kind of accept you to take a COVID test. And they want you to take a COVID test if they let you in. And um, I didn't know that because, you know, I mean, they mumbled something in Spanish. My Spanish is decent, but I didn't realize that. And um, then I went to the airport and everything was good. It was checked in. And then I went to immigration. She's like, you're not leaving. I'm like, what do you mean? And I was already through. Like, shit, they were running after me to the gate. She's like, yeah, you're not leaving. I'm like, what's going on? And yeah, you, you didn't do it. Take a COVID test. And they just introduced us like a day before I got to Colombia. So I had to like circle back and go back to the city and fly a week later. It was a little annoying. Oh, well, well you have your experiences wherever you go. You know, the, 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 the funny thing is in Europe, I've been to, to Tenerife. Um, uh, coming back yesterday, I was there actually on business. And, you know, um, crossing borders in Europe, you really don't really know what you have to do unless you read the, the rules, which are changing effectively every day. Yeah. And uh, I told myself, listen, I, I, go to, I go there. Let's see what happens when I come back. And um, I was quite nonchalant, uh, to be honest, because I... I, uh, <laughs> I I, I didn't honestly. I didn't care in this moment, um, uh, and and then as the people said, well, you have to to fill a form, a digital form um, of the German immigration, saying on which aircraft you have been, where you've been sitting, and, and and so on and so forth. And I was told before I was going there that if you're on business in less than five days, and I was there only for three days, uh, you can come back and. You don't have to worry about anything. Yeah. 
I, I was there and they said, no, that's bullshit. You know, you have to, you fly back, you have to go in quarantine for day, 10 days and you can exit the quarantine early after doing a PCR test after five days. So that was not really very helpful because I ha actually have a meeting in Düsseldorf on, on Tuesday. Now I have to shift everything. But anyway, yeah, within Europe, it's really, it's really quite messy because every country has different rules and, yeah. uh, and, uh, they really they try to to make you avoid any trip yeah you know? i think yeah i think that's that's become that's become the global the global pandemic in people's minds so to speak the bureaucrats are now telling us what we're allowed to do for every step and uh, you know canada is the worst offender so to speak in australia um but uh i i was actually looking at going to germany yesterday and uh, i had to do um, a 72-hour-old PCR test just to transit to Portugal, which, you know, is fair enough. But then for Germany, it's a 48-hour test, um, which can be a different kind of test. And then I actually wanted to go to Prague, which requires yet another test. I'm like, whoa, I'm, I'm going to be out $400. This is going to be more than a whole flight just for the testing. I'm like, this is, this is what I mean. But that's a stupid question now. But why would you travel with all these restrictions? You know, it's, it, it's no fun anymore. You know, it's it's uh, I'm I'm in the midst of this business, right? But it really pisses me off so much that uh, uh, they they and and uh, no, especially if if you cross a border now now they have even closed the border between Bavaria and, and, and Czechia, Czech yeah. Republic, and uh, and so you're not even allowed to cross the border anymore. The same between um, Bavaria and Tyrol. Yeah, so, I saw that. I saw that. that. I mean, I think anymore. Yeah, Europe and a lot of places are going to end up, you know, like I don't know, like uh, in the 1930s or 19 late 1940s, where you literally couldn't go anywhere anymore. Um, I'm I'm really surprised that Europe has taken that turn. I was uh, in Europe in uh, in summer, and things looked so good compared to the U.S. I'm like, holy shit, is they really going to pull it off? And now they're really overdoing it. So I hope it's going to change. You know, every numbers are falling <laughs> everywhere. It is. It is going to change. I'm quite. I'm. You know. I always think of the good in things and the good in people. Call it naive or what, but uh, in the end of the day, it will all also for the industry. The bottom line is going to be. It's going to take years. But uh, you know, whatever happens in in life and and across the world, I think there is always a good <laughs> good perspective, good thing in it. And yeah, uh, be it be it. Um, well, be whatever. It's tough. It's tough. I mean, this this is derailing pretty much everyone in the industry. Um, some places are doing better than than before. I feel um, so. Cancun. I went down to Cancun, and uh, it was six hundred dollars a night. It's pretty much every hotel. It was crowded, and there were a lot of Brazilians. Um, so not a lot of Americans. Would you used to be the ninety percent crowd down there? Um, a lot of Brazilians came up to Cancun uh, to celebrate. But is there any regime, like any COVID regime you have to follow, or is it just do what you want? Well, there is something in theory. I mean, most countries have a theory. You know, Germany usually is the one country that, that does take it seriously. But in most countries, um, there is rules kind of as a, as a virtual signal to, to pacify the population. But on the ground, there's minimal. You know, basically, it is instead of two chairs, you have one chair on the table. I mean, that's that's it. And there is kind of a mask mandate, but even most um, places in the U.S. I was just in Miami. Um, there is 
they, you, there is certain masks are worn, but it's, I'd say it's very loosely loosely enforced, and the same is true for, for most places in the South and the U.S. And uh, Florida has very low case counts, lower than California, which has a very strong mask mandate. So all these things, you know, they, they pacify your soul, but I think for the real virus, they don't do much. Seemingly, who knows? Um, yeah, I'm not the expert. Well, yeah, um, we will see. Um, uh, but bottom line is, I, I'm, I'm still... Um, uh, we, we will come out of this mess um, earlier than later, I guess, um, uh, depending on the vaccination process. And it seems to pick up even, even in Germany, even though it's really slow. And, uh, and uh, you know, with all these over-organizations and over-effectiveness of Germans, you know, this, they mess up. I don't know why. And, yeah, uh, I mean, Germany loves their bureaucracy, right? And there's so many layers. And the bur bureaucrats don't suffer from any COVID shutdown, right? They get the same salary and they want to do what's politically right. So they don't care about what that. What I keep saying, yeah. Yeah, but they can do, they can shut down everything, you know, and the, <laughs> the taxpayer is taking the bill. Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy. But I guess that after Easter, before what we call Pinkston, Pentecost, I don't know if you have that in the U.S., but I guess by then uh, we will have a a pretty quick up, how do you say, it, drive up of, of of restart of business of passengers coming back, yeah. and uh, offer going to be implemented again. Um, but we still it's 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 really low right now, wherever you look at. Well, I yeah, I really wanted to pick up our conversation again yeah. from last time. Because we we talked about the amazing feat that you you went through uh, during the last couple of months. You actually um, started an airline. You got an AOC um, in the middle of one of the biggest crises of the aviation industry. Tell us more how this happened, and maybe you can also um, help us understand a little more about your background, how you got into the travel industry and aviation, and in particular since you've been doing this for quite some time. Okay. Um... Let's start with the second first, perhaps. Um, uh, I'm I'm actually a lawyer by education. I never practiced law as such, but um, I, I I got into the travel industry through the back door. Um, and I've I've always been very focused on with the my professional involvement with restructuring businesses. And at some point in 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 the early two thousands. Um, I um, was was asked to to restructure an um, um, IT company, um, and uh, uh, which was providing software solutions for the airline industry with revenue accounting and operational software for 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 airlines. And uh, well, I said, okay, I'm going to do it, but I had no clue about software and uh, about airlines. So I, I had to quick dive in. Uh, I had to quickly learn. Which which I did, and um, actually it helped because uh, if, if you should know. I guess you know, but uh, airlines today is, are pretty much um, um, IT companies with with a, with an airline infrastructure and aircraft and staff and everything. But it's very tech dominated. One would hope so, right? The, the technology we just had Nick on Nick Blackwell, who used to uh, run the restructuring team, uh, the IT restructuring team for Cathay Pacific, and he said, "Well, it was basically a mess of systems from the '70s. No IT business would even touch them, but they have to deal with those." 
Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, but normally you would assume, and this is how I know it, is that you try to, and the 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 the, the business goes so quickly. I mean, while you you really have to adapt yourself tech wise as well, so your systems have to be really up to date and. With all the digitization going on, um, you have to be even, let's say you have to try to be of a guard. You have to be quicker than the others because this is what differentiates you in the end of the day. So uh, this is what I did. And um, the group which owned um, uh, the, the the company um, then saw that it worked out. And um, I actually um, uh, um, went in as, as a shareholder as well. So. Um, because I saw that uh, things were going well and I wanted to take the upside of it. And then um, I was I was asked by the by the by the owner of the group if uh, and he was in negotiations and this group had an airline in its portfolio which was called DBA. Uh, it was the German affiliate um, of uh, British Airways, uh, which the group took over in 2003, I think. And uh, in 2006, um, he asked me if I would be interested to, to run the negotiations and the takeover for LTU. LTU in those days um, uh, was, I think, number three in Germany, had a fleet of 26 aircraft, um, long-haul EMO, were flying intercontinentally into Asia and North America and, and, and uh, pretty much North Africa and Europe. And uh, well, I said, okay, I, I'll do it. And um, so I ran the negotiations uh, with with uh, the group which owned it in those days. And then we actually acquired the airline. And then he asked me actually to run the airline, to run the restructuring. And that was actually a jump in cold water because I, I didn't really run an airline before. I ran companies. And, uh, and but it was, it turned out to be a right decision. And um, apart from the fact that, um, I had, let's say, an external approach, an external view. I was not really coming out of the industry, which helped me because I I thought differently. I thought, let's say, pretty much with a blank sheet of paper coming in and saying, okay, what actually needs to be done? And, um, and there was a good team within the airline as well. So we actually managed the restructuring within uh, was pretty much a year. Until we got back to at least break even, and uh, so so this was actually my entry process in the in the uh, travel industry, and then I stick to it. I stayed there, and uh, we from from then on um, we we took over a number of um, let's say troubled and distressed airlines um, uh, in Europe and. Uh, and uh, CityJet, for instance, um, we took over one in Austria, which unfortunately we actually failed in restructuring. So we had unfortunately also to close it down. Uh, it was your Austrian regional carrier. Um, then we started up a new airline in Germany. And uh, then um, I, uh, at some point, um, uh, after we sold uh, um, the Irish carrier, actually said, Europe is not really our place to be anymore because um, competition and um, the market um, was not right for us anymore as a standalone um, entity. Um, and uh, it was, uh, I thought that we really, with everything going on, we thought we, we couldn't really provide any added value to 
to restructuring, to reorganizing the businesses. <clears throat> so I looked into Asia because yeah. it was clear for me that Asia is actually the growth. Peter, what be what yeah. would be my first first question, um, and uh, we know we're going to get to to your new venture in a, in a heartbeat. Uh, restructuring an airline, it sounds to me something miraculous is going on. So when I think of airlines, um, there's usually some some entrepreneurs who, um, and I think of the case of Bauer because a lot of people uh, remember that it's it's something that is red hot. Everybody knows it. There's a lot of marketing. Um, we we see um, a lot of interest in that airline. People go to destinations they wouldn't go otherwise. Um, as it happened with Wow Air, but the biggest problem is 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 uh, is obviously making money off an airline. It seems there's Warren Buffett's uh, quote with this. So the the airline world is usually littered with with well-intended, um, pretty high-flying startups uh, that make it for one, two, or three years, and then they, because of the competitive situation in the airline industry, and given there's always an incumbent always have trouble making money. When you go in restructuring, well, what does that mean? You, you cut costs or you, 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 you change the marketing? Is there like a secret recipe um, that, that maybe other airlines can learn from? Um, well, first of all, Warren Buffett is right. You really don't make money running an airline. You make money by um, buying and selling an airline. This is how we made money. We also we were we were getting to uh, to, to 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 a situation where we got profitable, and uh, but it's not that you get rich running an airline. Uh, it simply doesn't work like that that way. Um, but um, you can you can live on an airline. You can let's say make it successful. You can keep it alive. That's pretty much the focus. And uh, everybody who tells me different today, I, I wouldn't believe it. Um, because the, um, uh, um, the, the, the landscape is today such, it's, it's so highly competitive that um, uh, the margins are so small that you cannot simply imagine that uh, you can, you can um, let's say, miraculously um, uh, make uh, tons of money with running an airline. But answering your question on restructuring, it, it always depends. Um, you cannot. Um, while while I always say that um, an airline is it's 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 not really rocket science. In, in the end of the day, you have to you have to sell tickets. You have to have your costs under control, and uh, and uh, the bottom line has to fit. So um, when when we get approached that there is an airline out there which needs um, either a, a new ownership or uh, needs a restructure, we really have a, let's say a first look at it. There are many airlines out there where, where I would say there is no reason for them to exist anymore because uh, the market is so tight that even the best restructuring wouldn't work. Um, so um, obviously we we look at, um, for instance, um, we we had uh, we took over Corsair, which was a, which is it's still <laughs> existing. It's a um, French long haul carrier operating yeah. out of Paris. So uh, so not about. To take a, a practical example, um, we um, obviously uh, um, the French market is highly competitive. It's all out of Paris. It's two airports. It's uh, it's a strong uh, a national carrier, so to say, with Air France. They are actually serving everything, and there are a number of uh, of long haul carriers also operating out, out of Oly and and Charles de Gaulle, uh, the two airports, and. So, but in any case, we, we looked at it uh, and we saw that there was um, uh, um, a perspective for an upside. 
Um, the fleet was highly inhomogeneous. Uh, we had Boeing 747s flying. Uh, we had uh, A330s, two types, two different types, 200s and 300s flying. Um, and obviously, that was not really helping the bottom line. It was highly um, uh, uh, cost effect, uh, cost costly. Um, and and um, but then again, on the other side, um, uh, the what what brought us uh, to the decision to actually take over the airline was the positioning in Oli. Oli is a highly it's a highly competitive. Uh, airport, uh, there are scarce slots. We had a high number of slots, uh, so we had, a, uh, let's say, a perspective of really serving um, uh, routes which would really be interesting. And the markets which were being served were, um, while being uh, really uh, with uh, lots of capacity on the market, um, it made uh, uh, there was there was room for development. Um, so um, we made our business case ahead of us going in, and um, we saw pretty clearly that once we would have harmonized the fleet, once uh, we would have developed the network, and we also took the decision to, to increase our presence in North America, um, we opened Miami, we opened, uh, we wanted to open New York. Um, uh, so this is all, um, let's say questionable now uh, with COVID because the situation is a bit different. Uh, and in the meantime, when I come to that, we sold the airline again um, uh, because uh, it was clear for us that uh, in, 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 in the context of COVID, um, uh, there a different perspective one needed. But I can tell you a little bit more to that later on. Can you, can, you, can you give us an idea of the numbers involved? I don't know if you're allowed to talk about that, but how much does an airline cost when you buy it? Is it more like 5 million or 50 million? Uh, just, just to give us a ballpark. Um, let's say th theoretically. I, I, I cannot talk about a specific airline because okay. I'm obliged on, on but uh, our approach um, and it's uh, people might say that uh, <laughs> need to have balls for that. Um, we, for us, it's important that the airline is clean when we take it over. It does not have any liabilities anymore, and it needs to have sufficient cash to run the restructuring. So this is our aim. Um, and this, uh, if if we pay anything, obviously we pay something for it. Uh, it can be. A big number, it can be a small number. Depends on the circumstances of the airline. But for us, okay. the clean sheet of paper is important because otherwise you're dealing with the past of the airline. You have to fill holes, which uh, has no interest on us because we actually want to develop the airline. So, so much to the numbers. I cannot tell you too much about it because obviously I'm obliged to, to keep a kind of... Um, um, uh, so, but but to give us an idea, I mean, um, airline sounds like you have to come in with a billion dollars. That's that's no. how it sounds, right? So, but it's obviously not the case. But but not just to case. give us a number, can fifty million dollars buy you an airline um, in the in the range of pre-COVID and hopefully one day post-COVID in the range of Corsair, who leases a, I assume, a bunch of planes Look, or not? That's we are talking. Of. We are talking about airlines which were highly loss making or which are highly loss making. So effectively. Yeah. These airlines don't have a value. Oh. You could you could argue that there are assets which have a value. For mm -hmm. instance, slots. 
aircraft if they are owned or on the balance sheet. There are sometimes they have it, but you can also assume that while the airline is already in distress, most of the assets have been uh, uh, monetized um, uh, by previous management or previous owners. So actually, yeah. you it's not that you take over much. You take over a running operation, you take over a network, and uh, you try to solve a problem for somebody who's owned the airline before. I, so you can imagine where I'm getting to. Um, okay, okay, we're getting to a smaller number. Um, yeah, we are getting well, to smaller numbers here. And uh, that's good to hear. That's, yeah. in, the, in the end of the day, we are solving a problem for somebody else. Yeah, we do it on our right. own account because we own the airline. But you get the upside. There's, yeah. there's, and sometimes we also agree on on models where the seller gets an error out uh, when we are successful. So there, the number gets smaller and smaller, as you can imagine. But yeah, you're the, kind of a, you're kind of running a Hyatt model in the airline business. You know, Hyatt kind of runs doesn't own the most of their hotels, uh, but they manage it. So they tell everyone what to do. Um, in terms of what a room should look like, what the staff should do, how it's being presented online and offline, obviously, too. Um, but they don't have as much upside um, in the particular success of the hotel, but they, they do have a staggered fee. So depending on the success of your hotel, they get more or less in their monthly fee. Um, I, I guess maybe that's a way to, to, to compare yeah. it. Obviously, it's not a good comparison, maybe not a full comparison. No, but we take the risk. Uh, and yeah. I think this is the important thing. You know, the, the seller gets gets away with actually getting away with the airlines having in, in somebody else uh, else's pocket. Yeah. And uh, we we run it uh, and we run our own airline. We run it to our best capabilities and uh, to our best of knowledge and yeah. uh, the expertise. And we have done so quite successfully in the past. So... Um, those who are selling it to us know who, what they what they get, and yeah. that somebody else is solving a problem they couldn't solve, right? Yeah, you're the you're the doctor of the airline industry. Since you're the doctor, I, <laughs> I want to ask you about uh, you know there's upside and downside. Obviously, cost cutting is one part of that. In terms of upside and selling more tickets, is there like a golden rule you follow? Is there the low, low, low hanging fruit that some of these carriers haven't really ventured into? Because I, I always feel, um, you know, when you want to grow the pie, when you want to grow the airline, this is this is where most of the effort should go into, right? To find either new channels to sell tickets or expand the channels or, I don't know, go into a price war. That's kind of what, what Huawei did with their $69 tickets to to Iceland. And they, they told me when I spoke to, to them, at the time, they told me, you know, we can basically give away the seat for free. We make so much money on ancillary fees. And I'm like, that sounds really shaky because people might not have to go for those ancillary fees, right? They don't go for luggage. They don't go for food. Um, that seems really shaky because you attract a certain crowd that's obviously um, already prepared to not pay much and, and live through the suffering of, of Bauer, so to speak. And obviously, it didn't work out for them at the end, but this might not have been the issue. But what do you think is the biggest leverage there in, in bringing sales up, which seems to be the, the, at the heart of the issue? Yeah, well, um, it's not only sales, but it's a big, big part. And it's the one, uh, it's the part, obviously, because at some point you come to your limits in reducing costs or having your costs under control is something you have to do anyway. But there's a natural end to cutting costs, right? Yeah. So it's always the upside in selling. But selling is not only the the, the uh, from at least from my point of view, it's not only the channel. It is 
very dominantly the channel. But first of all, you have to have a product, you have to have a network, which is compelling, which is interesting to customers. Um, and uh, where you have at least uh, a kind of, it, there are no niches anymore today. Uh, hardly, I hardly see any niches. Um, so you have to be positioned in a way where you're decently and re reasonably um, uh, competing against somebody else. So it is coming down to to how how do you how do you so what you sell is clear. You you sell your tickets. You know what your competitors are uh, charging. You know what it's it's pretty much open book today. So. Um, uh, Ultimately, it is about um, uh, a combination of having, uh, let's say, a competitive product on the, on the same route you, you, you serve with your, customer, your competitors and uh, using the right channels and obviously uh, uh, selling through channels, not only your tickets, but I fully agree with the guys from Vowware. Um, uh, ancillary revenues make up Today, around 30% of your should, this is an aim you should achieve, 30% of, uh, um, of your revenues. And, uh, and if you do it right, uh, you, can, you, can, uh, you can make a difference. And this is also where we come in as a restructurer. Um, we, we, um, we, obviously, we look at the network. Is the network right? Is the fleet right for what you're flying? Um, is the cost structure appropriate to the to the let's say to the structure of the airline as such? And uh, then again, um, how is your pricing model? How do you how, do you have a multi cabin, uh, multi class cabin? Uh, how do you how do you leverage on 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 that? How do you sell? Uh, which channels do you use? What is your product consistent of? And 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 so on and so forth. And this these are there, there is again. There is no rocket science to that. The, our, I think, our good, uh, big advantage is that we can focus. We we see what needs to be done. We don't have a mass of, let's say, discussions to be taken because we we are a pretty small team doing what we do, and uh, we decide quickly and then we implement quickly. We don't lose time. We try not to lose time, and I think this is an important uh, factor to, to yeah. what you could call successful in the end of the day. Well, one thing that, that I was always curious about, and I was really excited about that, but it seems to be a story that, that, that didn't end well, is the, and you, 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 you've, you've looked into this with Corsair, I guess, is long-haul discount flying, right? So discounted in the sense of it's a lower ticket price, maybe more fees. Um, and it seems to have taken off, um, obviously, with Southwest um, and then Spirit and Allegiant that are really coming back strong now. And then we have the, um, on the other hand, in, in Europe, we had the EasyJet and Ryanair and probably a bunch more by now that I don't even know their names. Um, for long haul, um, Norwegian really tried um, its, and I think they had a spectacular product um, that was just really tuned in. But it seems to be something that with COVID or without COVID, they struggled way before COVID. Um, it seems to be something that nobody can get right. And I don't know if it's if maybe it's impossible with the current set how the airline industry works. But since the eighties has been tried, and it it almost seems like it works, and then it just blows blows apart mm -hmm. again. Yeah, I hate to say that, but <laughs> in, I think it was four four or five years ago, and I was repeatedly asked this question: Does long haul low cost work? 
And it is my conviction uh, that it cannot work. It simply cannot work because long haul has nothing to do with low cost. Um, what they did is uh, effectively a combination of low fare and, uh, um, and uh, uh, reduced product. But ultimately, um, the, what you're flying um, and long haul, you know, you, you, the, productivity, the productivity of your aircraft is quite limited when you fly long haul. And uh, you, can, you can only make as much money as you, as you can in this moment uh, for, for a certain flight. Um, you have a certain number of, of, of seats in the aircraft and the aircraft serving the long haul low cost, um, currently low cost, uh, were pretty new aircraft because otherwise it wouldn't work anyway. But the problem is these new aircraft are quite expensive as well. And then again, you have a, a, a predominated um, a number of cabin staff, you have your pilots, you have uh, you have everything else, you know, uh, low-cost carrier pays the same fuel price as the others. Um, uh, in most cases, the same lease rates as the others, who are actually charging more. And uh, so uh, it is, even though on certain routes it might work, I'm not saying that it principally cannot work, but uh, in the, in the, uh, if you consolidate the whole network, it, I'm pretty sure it cannot work. And um, and those who are serving it, and also in France, there is an airline serving low cost, long haul. It's uh, French B. Yeah. And, they, and uh, the management repeatedly tried to convince me that it that's uh, it does work. But you also have to know that uh, there's another airline linked to the same group. It's Air Caribe, and which is not a low cost airline. So um, and you know there's always a trick of of let's say. Um, uh, hiding fees, hiding costs within a group, and then you can shift them or also the aircraft as you wish. And I think if you really would look at, at a single operator, and, and even, even Norwegian was not really a, a single low-cost operator on the long-haul side because they actually did work very well on, on the, on, on the medium-haul, the European traffic. Yeah. And, uh, and so, uh, uh, a standalone long haul carrier, honestly, I don't know anyone. Perhaps I miss somebody now, but Asia. Let's say standalone, it would not work. Well, one thing people, I think, got really hopeful about, and I think we're still looking there quite a bit in the future, is that we've seen that the hub and spoke model has lost a little bit of their, their attractiveness, um, especially in the eyes of consumers. We see this in the US a lot. Um, way more than in Europe, is that people are really curious about point-to-point -point connection. I think this is what really helped take off Southwest because they were literally the only airline flying between those two regional airports. And we have a ton of airports in the US, so a little, it's a little different in Europe and in Asia. We have all these little airports in Southwest. These airports are not congested, and uh, Southwest was the only one flying, and the prices were decent. They weren't super cheap, but they were decent. And nobody else could make it work, and there wouldn't be a, have enough volume to for a hop-and-spoke model. And you, you see this in, in, in Texas, for instance, a lot. If you're still going from, from Texas to Houston is, is, is drama um, in terms of flying. It's expensive, and it shouldn't be, right? So you just go to a different airport, and then it's southwest, and then it's 50 bucks, and no more drama. And um, 
I think what people were curious about is that we, we also have the point-to-point point, point model more with the new generation of long-haul jets. And I think this is what Norwegian was betting on. We, we get into smaller airports and we have this example here in the Bay Area. We have San Francisco, who is the predominant um, airport for a long time. We used to very congested, um, lots of fog issues. And then he went to San Jose in Oakland and said, you know, we can maybe use that as a, as a starting point, have lower costs, lower turnaround time. We have more of an and, and um, uh, leverage there. But then the problem was, where do we go in Europe? So in Europe, they flew into the same hubs, right? They flew to Oslo, they flew to London. And, and Lon in, in Europe, maybe you can go to Orly instead of Paris, but it seems that the number of places you can actually go that attracts um, the same amount of, 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 um, of passengers, they seem more limited. And I think it's more of an airport issue. If, if we would have this, this sprouting of airports that accept international traffic, and they are within, say, six to ten hours of flying distance. I think there might be a real, a real shot for another low-cost carrier. But I mean, now with COVID, obviously the trouble is that international borders seem sealed for eternity, judging from from current news. And it might take another 10, 15 years until we go back to this the super globalization that we had a couple of years ago. Well, um, airport is is a factor. It's it's uh, you, it's an important factor, but it's not the factor. Um, at least for the cost side of now, I'm just talking about an airline, not as a passenger. For the passenger, yeah. um, uh, it might be quite compelling um, to 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 pay, um, let's say, um, a ticket price of I don't know, three fifty, uh, three hundred fifty um, euros, or I don't know um, what they are from the, from what you pay from the US into Europe. But um, uh, in the end of the day, I, I look at our perspective of, of, of an airline, and the airline uh, still is, is is stuck with with. Uh, first of all, they have to fill the aircraft in a in a in a way where uh, it really um, uh, makes sense for the airline. So they they have to fill the seats, and um, and they they need to have and. They have been doing a pretty good job in that uh, a, a price structure, uh, which uh, which makes sense. But uh, the question in the end of the day is it is it sustainable? And um, this is where I come up with my question. Um, even with all the uh, ancillary revenues they might come up with, is it really sustainable in the end of the day? And um, I don't see this happening. And well, I know that Norwegian tried with with different um, um, staff structures. Um, they had Thai pilots uh, flying out of Ireland. Uh, they, they 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 have made all sorts of uh, let's say um, workarounds in order to make the model happen and uh, successful. That um, just grows your uh, complexity. You know, um, you, yeah. you need uh, different um, different um, um, AOCs. You need to 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 get everything on 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 the line, and and um, the success a successful airline is in the end of the day an airline which has as little complexity as possible, and um, it, it it runs against the model of being. Um, a low-cost carrier, long-haul or, or also short-haul, um, the more complex you get, um, you lose your, let's say, advantage point. Um, you lose your your um, uh, your <laughs> cost reduction aim. 
because every yeah. complexity costs money in the end of the day. Yeah, I think in, in eyes of consumers, we, we, we expect the airline industry to kind of behave like um, the semiconductors, like an iPhone, right? It gets double, it doubles in speed every 18 months and it should be the same price. And it works beautifully with all the semiconductor devices. But with the airline industry, there's no semiconductors behind it. But in consumers' eyes, it's a similar thing that we expect should get much cheaper and it has gotten much cheaper. Um, and it should be basically free. That's kind of the new expectation, right? And it should be a Q Suites Qatar Airlines why, uh, business class. Why at the same moment the costs are going up? Fuel is getting more expensive. Airports are getting regularly more expensive. Then visas are, depending on the on the aircraft type, uh, more expensive. And then you have staff. Staff expect to earn more over the course of of of, of a timeline. And uh, at the same time, as you just rightly said. Um, uh, the, the, the prices of tickets get lower. Huh? So this is an equation doesn't work really. In most cases, it doesn't work. So you, you have to find new new means of uh, revenues and where we come back to the ancillary revenues and, 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 and the channels and how to get yourself into the market. And I think this is the important part. And, um, and uh, so... Uh, Get, being successful in the end of the day um, is is uh, and this perhaps is also let's say uh, points to the to the question how can you make money with an airline? That's that's really the uh, the, the the big secret some airline uh, airlines might have. Um, and to be very honest, uh, we have done well with running an airline, but uh, we were not necessarily making heaps of money. So the the question is why do airlines like Ryanair or also Lufthansa and 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 others make money? It's also very strongly linked to the fleet structure. Uh, they, yeah, I they... was I was I was curious, uh, but before we get there, and I think this is a, this is a wonderful point, um, or maybe we can do both. You know, there's these upstarts that seem to really take over the European low-cost market right now. This is Vis Air and Blue Air, right? They, they, Blue Air comes out of nowhere for me, but they show up everywhere. And then there's Vis Air, who you know has Romanian, Romanian uh, Blue Air. Sorry, what? Blue Air uh, from Romania, right? From Romania, yeah. Uh -huh. And uh, they seem to really grab every route they can right now, just and then market it because they feel this. They have the attention span now. I don't know if they really have passengers, um, but you know you can schedule things twelve months out, and then you can cancel it again. I don't know what their secret is, but Vis Air is now expanding to Abu Dhabi, and they. There seems to be nothing east of, say, Poland that this era hasn't hasn't conquered. Um, from my perspective, that I'm, I mean, I'm, I live in San Francisco, but I go to Europe a couple of times a year. Um, how do you explain um, how they are able to a, a be so aggressive in growth? B, it seems like the pandemic hasn't really done much to them. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, and C, do you think that's sustainable and they're actually making money with this? Well, I actually. The, the one airline which really impresses me is Wizzair. Because uh, Wizzair indeed is, I guess, also one of the very few airlines which have successfully uh, position, uh, position, uh, positioned themselves in the, in the low-cost market in Europe. And um, I think there is a pretty simple reason for it, because they are coming out of a region where there was high demand in, in traffic, but it was not really tapped in. That was Eastern Europe. And uh, they were lucky enough that the competitors in Eastern Europe actually all failed. It was um, um, 
uh, the Hungarian airline, I, I missed the name, um, the state carrier. They, they, they Magia, Maya. Yeah, yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, something like that. They they failed, and so they could actually really tap into a a new market for them, where they really yeah. could could develop. They they had a new fleet, uh, similar to actually what Ryanet uh, has done a couple of years earlier, and but they were strongly focused on on Eastern Europe. But then they were also, let's say, with um, with the regional airports really opening also to the to the to the locust carriers and uh, and the interconnectivity and the uh, Eastern Europe, uh, European countries being part of the European Union, Romania, Bulgaria. So there was uh, um, a, a need for, let's say, cross-border traffic, which was quite easy because we have free, uh, free travel within the European Union. So you just could hop on a plane and fly somewhere else without any 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 visa or uh, any other restrictions so they really tapped into this market and now they they made themselves a mark uh, a brand uh, which is quite um i never flew with them to be honest but um, for what i hear they're really really good and uh, they're reliable their their on-time performance is pretty good and uh, they're cheap they're really cheap well, I would say that Ryanair was cheap once, but they cannot afford to be that cheap anymore. And they also tapped into a business segment in order really to grow their um, to grow their uh, to their story. Um, so, so they're they're getting a little bit more like the the legacy carriers. They're no not so much low cost model anymore. And um, and they're also flying into the major airports now. So um, this is what Wizz Air is not doing. They are strictly keeping to their um, original model, and um, this keeps them to be successful. Why well, Ryanair is successful as well? It's no no doubt no doubt about that. But um, and and uh, well, with flying, the world gets pretty pretty. Um, Pretty, uh, pretty small, and with the major carriers, really now also with COVID um, getting into major trouble, um, uh, this really opens up uh, uh, pretty much a new world for for them, which they really can tap into. Do you think the 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 balance of power that we had at it was for a long time that Ryanair moved into a certain airports. Then there was usually a political debate. You know, it was a very strong political debate in Germany about limiting the access of Ryanair to certain hubs, um, certain number of flights. Um, the same happened with, with the Middle Eastern airlines. So the idea was to prop up Lufthansa and the legacy carriers um, and keep their, their tariff structure, their fare structure in place, more or less. Uh, do you think that will, will will be the same after COVID? Do you think or these political restrictions will, will topple over and uh, anyone can compete who wants to compete? I think this has changed in the last years uh, anyway. Um, Lufthansa has uh, tried to make their share of, of political influence. Um, and I, honestly, ultimately, they they still succeed somewhat with the Middle East carriers, trying to get them into the German market. But uh, with the low-cost carriers, all of these being European carriers, um, anyway, um, it doesn't really uh, help them that much to keep them away. So uh, now even Ryanair has entered the Frankfurt base, um, uh, and and uh, I guess I don't know what they're doing with Munich, honestly. But but it it's not about really uh, that 
these uh, low-cost carriers are hindered to to develop their position in the German market or across even even in, in France, where EasyJet is really strong. Um, and uh, it is it it is today a fact that they are there. Um, it, it's going to be even stronger because these low-cost carriers have will go, will exit the crisis far better than the the legacy carriers will have such as Air France, uh, Lufthansa, British Airways, they are really struggling because they have to, 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 to manage their, the, uh, the bottom line in the end of the day. And uh, with all government money being pumped into these airlines, and actually, to my knowledge, Ryanair and, and Wizzair have not asked for it. Uh, they got support, but not really in, in terms of, of, of um, equity, but rather loans. So... Um, so the, 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 um, they they are far better off, and uh, I think they are also better prepared to 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 to, to again um, reposition themselves in the market. Obviously, these these locals carriers have uh, put um, their fleet uh, to a large extent on hold, and uh, they have put them on the ground. And, and uh, but. Uh, I guess that they are pretty quickly able to 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 reactivate them, and at some point this will come and travel will come back. And uh, once uh, let's say um, uh, countries open open their borders effectively again and uh, uh, create demand, um, uh, and I think everybody's waiting for that. So locust carriers are going to be able uh, a better. Uh, are going to be better pos positioned um, to 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 um, to reactivate um, and uh, position themselves in market, which were let's say pretty much to to for instance in Germany to Lufthansa and Eurowings, and um, uh, we will uh, surely see. And this also needs to be seen in the uh, in the context of of uh, airlines having failed over the last years in Germany, for instance. Uh, we had a Air Berlin, we had. Germania, uh, we had, what else did we have? I think we had two or three other airlines which are not there anymore. So there is a need uh, for, 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 for traffic and the regional airports here, it's, it's, it's devastating. Um, uh, and uh, there is really demand for connectivity. And Lufthansa alone, even with Eurowings, are not going to be able to, to provide that. And we are not talking about Germany alone. We have that across all countries in Europe. And uh, so, so we will have to see how this will uh, evolve post-COVID. Um, but but um, uh, the hub had spoken, you have been talking about the hub had spoke before, um, uh, there is a kind of revival of Hubbard spoke now again because it it facilitates the legacy carriers actually to operate, um, and um, it makes it easier for them. But it's not surely the solution, and it will not be for long. Uh, until long, when uh, when uh, let's say there is going to be back, it's going to be a shift back to the point to point, point to point um, connectivity to intercontinental, but also within the continent. Yeah, I, I want to get to your new venture and where you see the opportunities in the airline market. I know that um, the founder, Nilaman, the founder of JetBlue and Azul, he is starting with a fleet of A220s. Um, those are smaller aircraft. Um, they, they, as far as I know, are Embraer aircraft, but the Airbus has, Airbus has bought them, so the, the new label has been put onto them. No, 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 and, Embraer or Bombardier. 
Bombardier. Oh, my my mistake. Um, but it's 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 I've flown the A320. It's a it's it's a great aircraft. It feels much more much more spacious than you would expect than a small aircraft used to 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 feel. I hope they're safe enough and doesn't go the the route of the seven three seven Max. But I felt like this is a this is a great aircraft to work with. And I think his strategy, from what we know, the airline is called Breeze, as far as I know, uh, is to go to even smaller airports and then do kind of a Southwest revival um, where he goes to to really small airports, connects them, brings out a twenty nine dollar fare, and hopes for the best. That's what we know. That might be completely might be completely off, um, or we speculate about. Um, where do you think the needs right now, and and where is your new carrier positioned, or where would you like to position it? Um, coming back to, to, to what you were just referring to, to, to Breeze, um, I think um, from, from the American U.S. perspective, it really makes sense um, because you are very, uh, the U.S. is pretty much a closed shop um, within the country. And um, it's, a, it's a huge country where you still, um, there's, a, there's a huge demand of connectivity also to the smaller airports. And so that really makes sense from my perspective um uh it is uh and the aircraft by the way is a great aircraft and it's 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 not only very reliable they had a couple of issues with the engines but there were no there were not it's not a safety issue it was simply um a reliability issue um but uh, this has been solved so i think the the uh, um, the uh, Airbus 320, uh, 220 um, is is something which is absolutely fine, and I think today they are already also have let's say a, um, a, a cost base which is which is highly competitive. Um, the the other airline you're referring to is, is AeroK. Um, we invested in this one. I guess you mean this one, right? Yes, your newest um, baby. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we invested uh, a couple of years ago into a new um, low-cost carrier startup in, in, in South Korea, uh, simply because um, uh, Northeast Asia was, from my perspective, the only real market where you could uh, assume um, uh, uh, a, a really uh, a development which was which was what we were looking for. Right, they had um, passenger increases of ten percent year on year, so there's a. It's really uh, tapping into the Chinese market, and um, our our aim was uh, simply to set up an airline under under our standards. Um, we supported the management in the setup and the structuring of the airline, and uh, uh, the, the 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 aim was to connect a secondary Seoul airport, um, the capital of South Korea, to uh, to um, secondary destinations in China, Japan, and Taiwan. And uh, the the uh, from from I, I didn't know the market before, to be honest, before we entered into this venture. But uh, I flew down there and talked. To the people and looked into what what could be expected, and I was really really impressed by by what the Chinese market is is um, is capable of delivering um, in terms of passengers, in terms of uh, um, of demand. Um, if you think that today um, just four percent of the Chinese population have a passport. 
and this uh, from government uh, government sources is expected to grow to 12 percent uh, until 2025 you just can imagine what this will have a, as an effect on on international traffic so yeah. and and uh, south korea being the number one destinations for chinese people it was uh, for me, it was simple to say, okay, let's go there because uh, what else can you do wrong? And yeah. uh, that was that was the reason why we uh, why we entered the market. And uh, so they started actually to fly. They started flying uh, last week, but still uh, due to COVID on a very very um, um, low um, um, let's say exposure because we try. Uh, we try to keep it as low as possible until COVID is done. Uh, because we yeah, want I, I, our competitive advantage of of having, let's say, a clean financial situation. We don't want to have any 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 debts or whatever. And all the other carriers you can imagine are highly um, highly uh, inflicted by 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 financial um, repercussions from from this crisis. Yeah, I think you're onto something there. And I was in China in 2019 and flew to basically 10 different secondary and tertiary cities. And I was impressed by the, by the sheer volume of, of flying that was going on. There's this massive airports in Fuzhou, like 200 gates, and there's like a tiny little airport bus but yeah. that even that serves the airport. It's very difficult to get to. I mean, obviously you can take Uber and Didi. But I was I was impressed by the sheer size of, of, of um, domestic traffic that's going on. I think the the, the the trouble that they still have is that the airspace is not open, and they you can see this very nicely on flight stats that they all go through very narrow air traffic control corridors. But the 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 amount of traffic is go was was spectacular, and I think when you whenever wherever you went in Asia in the last couple of years, it was basically all the growth in tourism came from China. And as you say, it's 10, 15, 20%. And I think Jin Air is the, the household name there, um, or one of the household names that started with really cheap flights out of, out of Asia, out of China, which I think China is still new to the idea of a low-cost model itself. Um, and I don't know if Jin is, was the first one. I didn't see too many there when, when I was there two years ago. And uh, it, clearly it is the driving force in, in basically just outbound tourism. And what, what I felt is the greatest challenge is if you can solve getting an AOC in China and fly to China wherever you want, I think it's not that easy. You you know more about that. I always felt it's really tricky to market to Chinese consumers. I don't know how you pull that off. I thought it's coming from a non-Chinese world, selling in China is really hard. Well, um, honestly, um, we had to learn a lot about that as well. Um, and um, to my understanding, uh, it, it comes, to, to, first of all, you have great partners in, in China itself because really the, 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 the channels in China are totally different to the ones in Korea already, you know, yeah, and, exactly. uh, and, and, but, but um, uh, the, the, it is, it is a, a strongly dominated um, 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 uh, online channel market. But um, you still have to have, um, um, let's say, uh, agents on the ground as well, which are actually managing the whole process. So you cannot do that for South Korea. You have to have partners which help you doing it. And no matter how big you are, because um, um, uh, while, for instance, in Germany, we can, we can, let's say, address a market in the UK or Spain or France or Italy, uh, this is not possible in South Korea. And um, obviously, an airline in South Korea is also um, 
And Jinia, you were talking about, is actually the the locus affiliate of of uh, Korean Air, and oh, um, okay, and so so um, and um, so they 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 all strongly compete into this market, um, but the the really interesting thing for us, and it's not that we came to South Korea and knew how everything worked. We we know how it works, but we learned a lot because um, the the whole uh, channel system in South Korea is totally different, or in North Asia, I would say, uh, to what we have known in in, 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 uh, in Europe, for instance. Um, the use of WhatsApp, the use of um, uh, uh, digital communication in terms of sales, how you use it, how you can really start a booking process out of a communication. Um, it's That's really interesting. It might not be possible in Europe simply be because of data protection reasons, but but uh, we were really impressed and uh, honestly we learned a lot and we still learn a lot um, how you really can tap into um, customer demand, how you really can um, um, motivate people to travel concrete concretely on 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 a on a. On, uh, to get them actually to, to to book a ticket, even though they didn't think of booking a ticket, all this is new. We don't know any of that. How it, perhaps I don't know how it works in North America, but this is very far away to what we know in Europe. And the digitization process of Europe is it's actually really picking up really quickly now because this is where you can start to differentiate yourself from 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 others. But um, uh, we are a world away from from where the the North Asian markets, the Chinese, the South Korean, um, the Japanese are, and Taiwanese are. Um, there's a lot for us to learn. Yeah, I was I was always so um, annoyed by the fact that I'm a big fan of WeChat, and I was very happy to use it. Um, and it's being used for pretty as a credit card, literally as a, as a mobile wallet like Apple Pay. But you couldn't add uh, a non-Chinese card to that wallet. I mean, you, you can, but it, it doesn't let you tap it. You cannot check out. And I was, uh, they, they were really trying to phase out cash in many places in China. But I also couldn't use WeChat. I mean, I had it all set up. I had it on my phone, but if you're in China, it doesn't work for you. No, but because you can't load money to it. So you can't, you, it has to be backed I by, by a credit card. By by a credit card that works, and even if you have Discover Union Pay, you know they're the same. They're the same mm -hmm. network. It it doesn't accept non Chinese debit cards, so it needs to be issued a card that's issued. Maybe that's just a flaw because nobody really stumbled upon it. I don't think it's necessarily intentional. But you you have WeChat and everything. You can communicate, but you cannot use it as a payment mechanism. And um, you know Visa, Mastercard, Amex are basically unknown. You can only pay in very few places. And uh, so I was stuck to cash and my Discover credit card, which didn't happen, didn't work very well. And I think a similar a similar issue uh, must happen when 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 Chinese consumers travel somewhere else. Um, they only have Union Pay, which is Discover, and it's rarely rarely ex accepted. And then um, they go through a similar process. Um, so I, I, that's one of the last countries, you know, Japan used to have that problem that we couldn't really pay with our credit cards, but that seems to be all solved. Um, you know why? What, why is that? Because friends of mine, they have been to China, they have done a kind of reconnaissance uh, trip, a, a digital reconnaissance trip to, 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 uh, to China. And actually they were 
pretty blunt, saying they don't care. They don't need the Europeans. They don't need the uh, Americans yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, actually to sell more because they, they are tapping into to a, to a population of, what is it now, 1.8 billion um, uh, yeah, I mean, they don't have they don't have any Americans or the others. They don't need them. They're not interested. Yeah, they don't need any inbound tourism for sure. I mean, there's more countries that don't need inbound tourism. Um, so, but 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 China, it's it's weird because they're phasing out cash, of which I understand why they do it. But then also the electronic part didn't work. So you you literally stuck to, I'd say half of 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 options that I that I could have eaten at or museums I couldn't enter because I couldn't pay. There was no way for me to pay. And I mean, they're very friendly people on that level at least. But I, I was, I was, I felt a little uh, discriminated against. Let's put it this way. So no, I, I was fine. I was fine. It's, I, I really like that, that these secondary studies uh, they're not as overwhelming. Um, I, want to, want to stay a little bit in the in the airline industry. And there's one airline uh, that that really impresses me is is Qatar Airways. Right, they've they've been building um, a great brand. They've been um, really succeeding in, it seems where all the other Middle East carriers even had trouble is, is building a great product, very competitive. They have a great airport now. They're ready to go. And also during COVID, they haven't really shut down their their, their network as much. Um, Emirates, basically the A380s are out of business. They barely don't, they basically have one in the air now or two per day. And uh, they haven't re restarted their flights. They just restarted LA, I think, um, a week ago, and they want to restart other US airports. So they really have cut down their network 99%. Um, Qatar doesn't seem to have that. They actually expanded and they might have reduced some frequencies, but generally they fly to pretty much the same places they did before, um, maybe just once a week or twice a week, but they're still up and running. And we know they can afford it, right? They, they don't really have to make money. But do you think Qatar will get to this? Qatar Airways will get to that point where they come out of this crisis? And it seems to me that happens as the premier brand of airline traffic. And do you think they're going to monetize this and actually be profitable on a whatever basis we want to call it for the next couple of years? Well, uh, to start with, I don't believe that Qatar ever will be profitable. Um, but um, I, I don't even think that this is really their aim to be profitable. Obviously, there's an expectation that the airline does not lose too much money, but I think they are tapping into, let's say, the whole the, the, the whole economy there is pretty much uh, linked also to Qatar. So for them, I guess, it's a macro perspective they need to take. And yeah. uh, this is also what what uh, what uh, the other um, Emirati uh, airlines are doing, Etihad and and uh, and uh, Emirates. So, but but you're right. Um, they have been uh, quite present. That's true. Um, but uh, obviously, this comes with a cost. Um, uh, and I guess they're the, the the not only the airline leadership, but I guess also the 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 the, the government uh, has um, has the uh, the expectation that there is a kind of visibility of this airline to be around. And um, we should not forget that there is a, uh, we, we have uh, the Soccer World Cup com coming up in two years, uh, next year, I guess, it's, it's 2020, when is it? I, I forgot when it is actually. Yeah, we um, all lost one but, year, right? So we yeah, all but, lost one it, year in our memory. Uh, this is coming up and um, I think for them, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a marketing positioning. Um, they have a big advantage to the others. Um, they have a, uh, when it comes to long haul, a pretty homogeneous fleet, 
where they um, can, let's say, um, allocate the aircraft pretty well on their network where they want to fly. Uh, and I see this in, in Europe where they're flying with uh, with the A350 pretty, um, pretty uh, um, uh, consistently. And um, well, it, 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 it does cost money, no doubt. It, it is, uh, it is, it is kind of marketing for them and they are willing to take the bill. Um, uh, and they might be in a position where they can, let's say, mitigate the costs and the effects a little bit through cargo and, um, and uh, and some of some aircraft have been really also used to to transport um, um, predominantly cargo also in the cabin, um, uh, and so this might have an effect. But uh, actually, um, uh, my son has been flying um, uh, with Qatar uh, recently to Sri Lanka, and the aircraft was literally almost empty. And yeah. so, so they are willing to take to take the bill effectively to to flying completely unprofitable. And uh, if if this makes sense for them, they have to answer that. I think under under commercial, um, uh, let's say, under commercial perspective, doesn't make any sense at all. I think we all agree. Well, maybe I'm not so sure because here's what happened. So. Basically, the airline world and the, the marketing in the airline world is completely devoid of any marketing. There's no other brands. There's no confusion right now. So I see um, banners of, of, of Qatar all over LA airport, about San Francisco airport, about um, what was the other airport I just went to? And it was, was full of Qatar, um, the Qatar logo. Was it Miami? I think it was Miami. Um, anyway, so the, the, if the, the, if you can be so counter-cyclical, and obviously Qatar is not hurting for money, it's never had. You know, otherwise, they wouldn't have started the airline in the first place, right? They didn't expect it to make money in like two years. Um, and there is enough money to go around, and they don't have to buy used treasury bonds. They can actually invest it in a real running business they have control over. And they never know what the U.S. is going to do with their treasury bills. And so the 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 idea, if you have the the the, the monetary firepower to invest so so counter cyclical, where you are the only one who does any marketing, I think the same is going on with Blue Air. Blue Air is doing so much marketing because they know there is no other airline currently around that does any marketing because it doesn't lead to to immediate ticket sales, at least for most for most of them. And let's assume, and this is a big bet, that the market comes back in six months from now. Right? It might might not come back for a couple of years, right? We don't know that. But let's assume there is a speculation that the market comes back in July. I feel like Qatar has, has outcompeted all the other Middle East carriers, at least, and maybe a bunch of European carriers, too, because they simply had this, this staying power and they're seen as reliable. And they, 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 they mark, their branding image is as high as ever, from my point of view. Um, I feel like Qatar has, has reached this Olymp kind of by stealth and it was always behind Etihad for the longest time. And now it's anyone I talk to is, is in full agreement how beautiful and great Qatar Airways is. And all the other airlines are barely talked about anymore. So I think maybe that, there's some genius in this nonsense. Uh, if there is some genius, I don't know. It's also always a matter of how much are you willing to invest into something like that. And uh, yeah. Do you expect a return on your investment or not? But I agree with you. Um, although I would say the the comparison is a little bit unfair because I 
truly believe that uh, that uh, Emirates and Etihad at least are trying to to um, let's say bring results which are um, um, which are to the standard of what let's say international airlines would expect them to be, and um, and perhaps the. The, the the rulers in these states simply say, listen, there's a, a point where there is no continuation on on in a, in, a, in a crisis like that, where you simply have to to ground some aircraft in order to really mitigate uh, the, the losses. But um, I think I think the rules uh, which we know uh, don't really necessarily apply to Middle East carriers. This has always been like that from the start. Um, and they were strongly supported, and that's fine. You know, if if if, if the countries can afford it, I, I think there is no complaining. And everybody has been complaining in the past, uh, most of all Lufthansa, about unfair competition. Uh, I, I don't really see that at this point. And and um, uh, if you if you consider the fact that every international airline, um, at least from the from the from the, the Lufthansa, has been set up by state money, they have been where they are today. They have been privatized uh, some twenty years ago or so, but until then, there was they were running on 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 uh, on taxpayers' money. So, what is the big difference to what the Gulf carriers are doing today? So, I think there is. Um, there is some some hypocrisy um, in in all this discussion, but anyway, coming back to your point, um, Qatar. Uh, I also consider Qatar one of the best airlines in the world from 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 product perspective, but also they are quite innovative, and I really always like that with them that they really try to take a step further and uh, try to really. To really think how, how how can we improve customer service? How can we um, the whole digitization has been actually uh, one of the top priorities of Qatar for many years now. Um, while other let's say European carriers or I guess also in the US they have still been sleeping, and now everybody woke up obviously, but um, Qatar has always been quite ahead of of many others and um i think it pays off for them somewhat and but it comes with the cost obviously yeah i hope they can make it work it's it's certainly that one airline where it doesn't really matter where i go i i just enjoy the the experience so much that it, it really doesn't bother me um the destination is it doesn't really bother me that much anymore and uh, that that is different with pretty much any other airline where I'm, I'm, I'm really hesitant to go to a place I wouldn't enjoy. But with Qatar, the enjoyment is so high; it's strange. And I, I think this is now shared in the in the in the wider aviation community. Um, if you could have a pick at any airline you wanted, right? So there's an I know you only buy them in special cases, and they they they're kind of restructuring cases, and there's a certain uh, determination. But if you had to pick at any airline you wanted to run because you feel there is potential, it's in a good spot, and you could, with a few screws uh, turned, make it much, much better. Uh, what is your top three that you, if you would have your pick, that you can just choose from? And right now they're cheap, right? Airlines are cheap everywhere. You can basically go to the government of, of uh, Panama and say, why don't you give me a slice of copa? Well, to start with, I think Middle East carriers are quite interesting. First of all, they have no unions. So you don't have to struggle with staff representatives and what is good, what is bad, what the expectations are. So I think this helps a lot. 
Um, yeah. That would be some experience for me because I've never <laughs> seen that. Um, not to deal with uh, um, with uh, pilot unions, cabin crew unions, and name them. I always respected them. I had a, a good relationship with them, but um, communication with them was always pretty time in uh, um, uh, time intensive. So, uh, a Middle East carrier would 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 be interesting. Um, there are markets which I would consider interesting, but let's say the regulations within the country um, makes it highly problematic. And this actually you have in many countries. Um, for instance, I love India. I, I, I'm, I'm a big fan of India. And I always thought of getting involved in Indian aviation, but actually every Indian I was talking to told me to keep away because it, it was it was uh, it would be not only messy but uh, i would i would lose my patience within a day and uh, could be um well in, india is a special case right it has been um it has destroyed a lot of billions billions of dollars in investments in the airline industry but it also created a couple of, of juggernauts at least indigo was doing really well and they actually seemed to be profitable so I think it took quite some time. There was Kingfisher and Spicejet, and I think there were a couple that didn't make it. But eventually, someone made it. To, um, someone really understood that market and delivered on, on a promise of making at least some money. Let's put it this way. Well, I don't really know who made it. Um, uh, they are all struggling. They have been struggling before COVID. They grew incredibly fast. And a pace of growth always comes also with a cost. Because... Yeah. Um, um, many airlines also in Europe, which failed in ultimately, um, take the Air Berlin. They, it was a great product. Um, they unfortunately wanted to grow too fast, too big. And, um, and growing fast, um, you can do it organically with your own people, with your own fleet, and, and uh, simply take in your aircraft, but, but this goes slow. So what you do, you buy an airline. Uh, uh, and we, we profited from that, obviously, because we sold them too. But um, but integrating an airline is always a messy issue because you have different unions, you have different fleet, you have different. You have to integrate the network and everything com uh, coming along. So um, the same, I guess, was in India. They wanted to grow too fast, too big. They did it eventually organically. They they took a bunch of new aircraft in, but um, you can only grow so fast as as you can manage the um, repercussions um, along uh, going along with it. Every network increase is an investment. It's an incredible investment. People don't really realize that. But uh, if you if you if you integrate a new destination into your network, you start flying rather empty uh, until it really picks up. Yeah, and uh, yeah. and people, people uh, have a visibility on your on your on your uh, let's say growing network. So um, it usually takes uh, let's say uh, a year, a year and a half, sometimes two years, until an investment into a new destination pays off. So um, uh, and if you do that, you can do that with one, two, or three aircraft. But if you have ten or 15 or 20 aircraft coming in with a within a pretty short uh, time period that's you cannot do it it's it's simply impossible um even with the biggest team and and 
but but it, it is uh, creating a, a huge complexity which you cannot simply control. So this is what's, what what is happening in many countries where where um, airlines have been aiming at a at a at a at, a, at, a, at the front seat uh, and uh, the pole position effectively um, uh, to to um, um, to the, within the market. So and and this usually doesn't work out. And um, but you know they they get how do you say. Um, uh, they, they, they they get crazy ideas. They simply want to grow, and uh, it's it's whatever costs, and and that's a huge problem. And it, coming back to your question, where else would I want to do that? Well, there are regions in the world where I would love to work, um, but I don't really know if there uh, where if there is an airline needed. Um, take take the Maldives for instance. Uh, does the Maldives need an airline? I don't think so. Um, do uh, Mauritius? Mauritius. Uh, there was an airline uh, just uh, in the beginning of COVID, actually uh, being grounded and uh, going out of business. And Mauritius, do you need an airline like that? No, you don't, because there is so much capacity in these markets. And uh, Emirates, Etihad, Qatar, um, the national airlines of uh, well, the big legacy um, out of Europe and, and, and Asia flying into, you don't need a domestic airline for that. So, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be so quick with the Maldives. You know, when, whenever I go to, to a place, I usually ask taxi drivers and people in coffee shops. So what, what is like the coolest job in town, right? So what, what does everyone want to do and uh, say in the US, it's you want to have your startup, right? In Silicon Valley, you want to be a startup billionaire. And in Ethiopia is you want to build an apartment tower, right? Because that's, that's, everyone has their own apartment tower now. And in Bali, it's like, I want to own a coffee shop because they're printing money pre-COVID. Again, this, these things have maybe changed. But in the Maldives, the answer is always, I want to run or I want to be a pilot for, for uh, the domestic airlines. And um, they're often not real airlines. They're, they're um, uh, chartered um, by the hotels. And the ticket prices, what has happened there is that the hotels have reduced their, their sticker prices because they've gotten more competitive on Expedia and say it's $300 for a Maldives resort. And then instead of adding on a resort fee, they said, oh, you know what? You can only go to our um, resort if you come in with a chartered plane. Um, you can't go take a boat. You can't take any other transportation. And by the way, this is $400, $800 per person, including children. And so the prices for these 30-minute 30, 30 flights, you know, beautiful weather, otherwise they don't fly and it's only during the daytime. They are suddenly, I don't know, um, if you go on a CPM basis, they are $20 CPM. They're incredible. I mean, you literally have... 10 people in the air and you make $8,000. So I don't know if this is a case for an airline, but I always felt like th there's something go weird going on for the, for, the, for the people who go to the resorts. Obviously, over the, the, it, it's kind of baked into the cost. They would pay more for room rate, more likely, um, over time. But I always felt it's kind of a charge that's hidden, right? It's kind of a resort fee yeah. in the U.S. That's, that's, well, that's a bit and it's in a monopoly uh, because uh, what is you it? You go to a different resort. Yeah, Maldivian water. Um, I knew somebody who flew with them, and uh, it's 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 great. It's great, but again, you need it's 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 a commodity in this case because you have to yeah. go from, from A to B, and uh, and uh, with boats, in most cases, it's too far away. So you need, you need to take a water water aircraft. And or um, and 
but again uh, there's only so much competition uh, possible so there's no point yeah. in, in setting up a new one there so the i agree i agree i agree one 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 airline i'm curious what you think of that i always thought is kind of punished by location is is Qantas. i always felt this wonderful airline has wonderful staff great catering great airports and what lounges whatever they control and they have this kind of a, this cool spirit. There's, there's some cool spirit to it. Now they've gone very politically correct. Um, so they've shut down flying forever, it seems. But I always felt uh, before they, they've been just, if they would have been in a better location, say if they would have been in Hong Kong, they would have been, I don't know, the Middle East. Uh, that would have been a, a huge player in global markets. But in, in given their location for their hubs, they've been pretty tiny. Yeah, well, look, um, they have been, uh, I fully agree with you. They were highly successful. They were it was a great brand. Um, they they had a really interesting network, but uh, they really got into trouble uh, when when the golf carriers started to fly into Australia. And um, obviously, how do you want to compete uh, against a golf carrier? It doesn't really work. So what did they do instead of fighting? That they joined them. So they had a they went into the agreement with uh, Emirates. And since then, they have been quite successful, but they lost on the way their coolness, their um, uh, their different spirit, the, the Australian spirit. What was it? I think that's their yeah, the spirit of uh, flying. Yeah, their spirit, the spirit of Australia. That was it. Oh yeah, yeah, you're right. And, yeah, and and so that's what they lost on the way. But I, I cannot blame them because um, uh, if if you want to be cool. Um, being cool does cost you something, yeah, and uh, and for for a long period, customers were willing to pay the price to be flying with somebody cool. Um, but that obviously comes to an end at some, a certain point, and uh, this is where they came to an end. And uh, then they started to struggle. Then they had their union issues. Then other Australian carers started to fail. Uh, um, Virgin Australia, I think, uh, was one of them. I don't know how Jet, um, what was their name? Um, um, I think Jetstar is owned by Qantas, Jetstar. or at least partially owned. Yeah, uh, Singapore. I think I think it's a it's a joint venture of Singapore and uh, and, and uh, Australia. I think it switched. Yeah, Singapore eventually went into Virgin Australia at some point. It, it moved around a lot there. Yeah, but, but uh, you know the the whole the whole context gets gets uh, pretty complicated and. Every complication brings complexity, and this is where where um, you have to deal the cards in a new, you know, and and and. But but it's true. Um, Qantas was was really a great airline, and well, in some way it still is. You know, it sounds as, yeah, as they are not very anymore, but they, they are trying to 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 survive, and they are trying to keep up. And I think they are still doing pretty much a good job, but but. You know, I think uh, today's perspective, we're all through uh, looking through the glasses or of, of COVID. And there has been a time before COVID and there's going to be a time after COVID. And I think um, the, the cards are going to be dealt in you. And then we will see who has survived and uh, uh, who has done better than the others. You're a shrewd businessman. And um, I like how, you, how, how clearly you look at the industry. When we when we go a little further away and say we're not just looking at airlines and the way of running airlines, where do you think? Uh, maybe it's something that's well, we only know anecdotal. 
in an anecdotal way, um, we're in this airline stack, right? So we have lots of suppliers. We have, um, we, there's obviously fuel costs and then there's the airport operations. There's lots of software involved. Um, there's a whole stack of marketing partners uh, that's being, being, um, being used in different countries. Where do you feel, who actually makes most money in the airline industry? It seems like the airlines um, do it from time to time, like Alaska, but generally they are seemingly, they're just breaking even. Uh, but who, someone must, must must make a lot of money from the airlines. So who is that? Well, first of all, I would say that the airlines are the uh, at the end of the food chain because they are the really losers because they don't they don't have any leverage in in in, in discussing with anyone. So they have actually to pay the price they are being asked for. So there are a lot making money as on airlines, uh, starting with lessers, um, starting with the OEMs. Um, uh with uh the 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 mros um uh, help us understand what that means organization is all the technical environment um for uh let's say keeping keeping aircraft flying um uh then uh, you have airports obviously um airports uh, unless we are talking about smaller regional airports um Airports are the ones who are coming out of the business pretty profitably. Um, and uh, airlines try to negotiate because apparently airlines still think they have some leverage by saying, okay, I don't need to continue flight to you to anymore. But that's not the point because if I don't fly there anymore, somebody else will. So uh, today there's the lev level of competition uh, placed into the courts of the airport. So um, there's not much you can negotiate with them. Um, and um, unless uh, you have, uh, let's say, um, uh, predetermined uh, prices, which we partly have in Europe, so there's not so much in negotiation you have um, uh, open, but it's still um, they, they make good money. And uh, the more international you get, the more intercontinental, intercontinental you get, the more it, uh, uh, they, they, the airports can play the card. Now, um, there are um, the system providers. Um, uh, you have, but the the ones who make obviously most monies, uh, most money, I would say, are the aircraft lessers, and um, and and uh, there, I would say, there's there's no point of discussing about that. Uh, they they really make it. And but as a lesser, you take the risk that yeah. the lessers buy the aircraft, right? They, they 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 get it from Boeing or Airbus. I don't know how their payments look like. They probably don't buy it in cash either. Uh, they have some kind of arrangement, um, oh, partial. They, they, yeah. they, you simply have to, to assume uh, that they have a different leverage in negotiating with the OEMs, uh, with Airbus or Boeing or um, or uh, Embraer or who else is there. And, and uh, they don't only buy one aircraft, they buy a chunk of, I don't know, 20, 30, um, let's say a A320s or so. And so that plays into the price of the, the, uh, of the, of the aircraft they're buying into. But at yeah. the end of the day, they lease out at the market rate. And yeah. you have to leverage in negotiating, obviously, and now it's going to be easier because there are a lot of aircraft on the ground. So you, now it's actually the time to eventually start a new business. Um, uh, you you might get a lot of things quite cheap 
relatively to pre-crisis, but um, but then again, there's also the risk of running the business. But um, the, the lessers, this is how they make the money. Um, uh, and they have a huge um, uh, effect uh, on, uh, it has a huge effect on the bottom line for them. Uh, so so they okay, are- they Just, yeah, I'm curious on how much money is actually involved. Maybe maybe you can give us an idea for the, for the, for the single aisle plane type, you know, these are short haul jets up to five, six hours say an A320, um, Boeing 737, and then maybe for a 787, um, wh how much, what is the leasing rate for those? Is it, um, are we talking a few thousand dollars? Are we talking tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars? And I think it's a monthly basis. We're talking hundreds of thousands per month. Uh, okay, but I think most people don't know that. Yeah, people yeah. don't know that. So, yeah. so you can imagine that uh, uh, the lease rate of an A320, uh will be around i hope I'm, I'm not saying anything wrong now but i assume something around uh 160 180 per month uh, the wow. the a330s for instance we were flying uh the prices where we knew negotiated so i can say them now they were at the height um um uh, a330 and we we're flying a capacity of uh 350 uh, seats uh, around uh, six hundred thousand per month. Wow! Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, yeah. So you you have to transport a lot of passengers in order to make them work. And coming back yeah. to the question, how do uh, how does long haul low cost work? So that's a part of the answer already. You know, and yeah. that's only one one item. There's fuel, there's staff, and all that other, which adds on to quite quite a number. And so, um, so it is. It is. It is. Uh, well, and the aircraft itself costs a lot of money as well. So this has to be taken into consideration as well. So um, uh, I can tell you that the list price of a three twenty is around uh, uh, somewhere sixty-five, seventy thousand, uh, seventy million. That's uh, a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so, but still, uh, if you can assume that an aircraft is being operated around 20 to 25 years on uh, as passenger aircraft, after that, eventually as uh, as a freight, uh, freighter aircraft, but not for the 320, then uh, let's say the, the life of such an air aircraft is not so short. So yeah. um, there's a lot of time to make money out of it. What do you think of those electric aircraft? Uh, finally, I think uh, United invested a billion dollars and uh, JetBlue. It's a, it comes out of JetBlue Ventures. I forgot the name of it. You probably know it. Um, they they just raised. I think they went public and they just had a pre-IPO investment. Do you think it's finally coming? And do you think we're going to see a lot more in this? I think it's ten to fifteen people. Uh, maybe it's going to go further. Uh, do you think that's that's maybe going to put the uh, the whole aviation industry more on a semiconductor trajectory so it gets better every two years and it costs the same thing uh electric aircraft it will not change the industry as such i think that the 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 biggest bigger factor is going to be synthetic fuels which are which have to come um if if we really want to 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 build on 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 the idea of a sustainable um uh, uh industry 
Um, but there are obviously um, uh, electric models coming up, but I would say on the very short um, distance um, segment. Um, beyond that, I think the, the I, I simply cannot imagine that the batteries on these aircraft are going to be developed in a way that they are not so um, so uh, heavy that that the flight as such would be actually pretty much uh, uh, on 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 uh, transporting a very heavy battery with a couple of passengers. So uh, let's say um, uh, economically, it wouldn't make much sense unless there is a evolution and development over the last uh, next couple of years where we science, uh, we find something else coming into the market, but I don't see this happening right now. We, we, I think we, we have, let's say, reasonable uh, expectation to have, I think, perhaps for trips into 100 or 200 kilometers. That might work on, on a drone type um, model or fixed wing drones. But uh, but uh, I don't see that for larger aircraft for 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 bigger dis uh, distances. I don't see this coming. Yeah, I mean batteries and the battery density. I mean, in the end, it's about energy density, right? Um, and the batteries are they. I think they're a little slower than Moore's law, so they double in capacity every two two and a half years yeah. instead of eighteen months, which we have for semiconductors. So you can already see that day is the day is coming, right? But it might not be in our lifetime. Uh, but <clears throat> Yeah, some sometimes these things accelerate faster than we than we forecast. It really it's not that static. It's just a long term um, assumption that we have, um, and it feels to me. I mean, it, it, it the idea that we put dead dinosaurs and that with something that's highly flammable and we all sit in this flammable tanker for eighteen hours seems pretty crazy to me. Um, I mean, the batteries are flammable too, so maybe that's not a big. Look at the seven, eight, seven of the Dreamliners, which which started to catch fire. <laughs> I know, so, I know. It's it's it all seems very crazy, but when I think of it from from the outside, I mean, I love flying and I do it all the time, but it seems a pretty crazy idea. And that you know, we basically have this 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 wire of relatively recent technology but in the end we sit on old dinosaurs seems really crazy to me um we should we should remodel this whole thing and i think it's it's going to turn out much better right and so the capacity will increase and we can go finally maybe supersonic again and we can we can go bigger planes smaller planes and we don't have to it seems that the, the, it's very um, and i think this is largely a safety problem um because of all these the issues that we had is that it seems very static right so either you buy a, a small single aisle plane now you can only go so so far as an airline but you have to do this for the next 25 years unless you sell all these planes so it puts a lot of stress on an airline organization instead of you know like say you run uber you, this car can go 500 miles or it can go two miles it doesn't make any difference for uber right so that the car is ready for it and i think that that creates a lot of organizational issues and, and, and way to run an airline that we wouldn't have if these electric planes would take off the way I envisioned them. They might look very different when they actually come yeah, around. But in the end of the day, it's a matter of if the OEMs or Airbus or Boeing or Embraer um, and, and the others are able to really deliver on that. And I yeah. don't see this really coming because, the you know, let's say, the, the, the drive for innovation in with these OEMs has not been really... Um, uh, to, to, to a higher standard, I must say. We are still flying the same. If you just look at the 737s, we are still flying the same aircraft which was designed, I don't know, in the 60s, I think. Yeah, just after uh, the war, yeah. 
and and so there is not much. Um, if you if you look at it, uh, actually, the the Airbus uh, Airbus uh, three eighty was the first aircraft which was really designed in a different way with double decks and 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 uh, able to carry uh, up to I don't know eight hundred passengers. And where did it end? It's they stopped production. So we are actually back, back to square one effectively because everybody sees that it's all about costs. You have to be efficient, and uh, you have to take into account the, the the competitive environment today, which was not so much an issue um, when when the whole designing process started because uh, we were not so much in the in the process of liberalization. So everybody thought we could m make money with it, running an airline forever, but this stopped to be the case. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I have a lot of podcast guests on view. I asked them about Peter Thiel's model, which is obviously he's he's been saying in the 70s, um, we kind of stopped growing. We stopped growing productivity growth and um, we stopped applying or making the necessary innovations. The question is, what, what, what came first? Um, what was causal? And uh, he, his famous saying is, you know, we, we expected flying cars and all we got was 140 characters on Twitter. So... <laughs> and, I, uh, he's he's right to an extent. And the, the things that haven't been touched by semiconductors where we have this crazy cycle of wait 18 months and what you just bought is is, is will be twice as good for the same price. And that, that is a massive deflation. Um, I think people underestimate the, the impact of this. And it has now spread to the internet and the iPhones and it goes from, from industry to industry and software is eating the world. But it hasn't come to the aviation industry yet because this is where we want really different planes, right? We had supersonic flight in the 70s, all gone. We had big planes, all gone. We're back to, as you said, the technology of the, basically is all just post-war. Um, and the engines still flow, um, blow up. You know, we started with United and we still sit on this massive amount of really highly flammable fuel and we think it's fine. It is fine, but it, it, I think it's strange. So I, I'm always hoping there is this momentum where, where we can put the aviation industry on the same on the same trajectory. So everything gets so much better in its core, not just because we, we paint it slightly differently in its core every 18 months. Um, but it hasn't happened, it hasn't happened yet, but I'm very still very hopeful this is going to happen one way or another. Electric planes are the only thing that I see could 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 deliver this trajectory. I don't I don't see anything else. No, well, uh, the, the only thing I really see, and it, it is already available, but since uh, aviation is a very globalized business, you have to make sure that, um, let's say, the resources that are available effectively everywhere is actually synthetic fuels. And this, yeah. is, this is the one which is possible. The, the, it is already there. But uh, it's also uh, a question, how do you position yourselves against the big um, oil companies? Because obviously they still don't have so much appetite in supporting that, but they have the whole infrastructure. Um, what, what is synthetic fuel? I don't know anything about it. Synthetic fuels are fuels which are being developed synthetically. We don't have any um, carbon um, um, uh, burn so so effectively it's zero um, um, zero carbon um, exposure and uh, there are um, fuels which are being um, uh, being developed synthetically um, being produced synthetically so there it's not it's, it's not really oil it's synthetic fuel um, which I don't know what it consists of honestly. 
but uh, it does not have any um, carbon emissions. And uh, this is what it's about. And you can produce them actually pretty cheaply. You simply have to have the infrastructure and the in and uh, the availability in all the airports internationally, and this is the big challenge, because yeah. you have to also have the production areas uh, around the world, um, and effectively, you have in order to be successful. I think you really have to to uh, integrate the fuel um, the the oil companies as well, because they should have an interest in in shifting. Um, the the focus because at some point we will come to our limits with uh, with, with uh, 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 oil and uh, with all the discussions uh, going on right now with uh, reducing our carbon emissions I think uh, the faster we would be able to implement it the better it's possible already it's available it simply has to be distributed and then promoted um, by the industry by governments by by, by passengers, and uh, and there needs to be some push on it, and, and and a stronger push on it, obviously. I think that's all the questions I had. Thanks so much for sharing your knowledge, Peter. Thanks a pleasure for uh, taking the time. That that was awesome. Great, been a pleasure. I hope we get to do this again, and uh, I hope your 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 new venture takes off. Literally, I hope so too. I I guess it will. And uh, we will see it flying. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I want to try it out. Next time I actually can make it back to South Korea. It's not that easy right now. Okay. I wish you all the best. Right. Peter, talk soon. Bye-bye. Yeah. Thanks for doing this. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye.